Good morning, church. For those of you I uh, haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Rusty, and uh, just a joy. It's always a highlight of my week to be with you, to worship with you, and to um, share God's Word with you, and He has a good word for us this morning. Uh, I thought it was kind of curious that after the announcement of the running club, we sang the only song we have in our whole repertoire about God running after us. I don't know. I think that was maybe just, I don't think that was planned. I think that was a way of God saying, I run, I want you to run. Um, I don't know. I might be reading too much into that, but uh, I love that picture of God, God running after us. Uh, I also thought it was kind of interesting with those two guys up here. James is trying to sell us cake. And then Gary pitches running and exercise, and I just kind of felt like a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, this conflicting message. But actually, I'm not much of a runner. I'm a very seasonal runner. I'm looking forward to this club. I think it'll be an encouragement to me. I have found when I do run, it's very good for my mind. You know, we, as human beings, we are holistic, right? To be human is to be, to be body, mind, and spirit together, and one affects the other. And so, I think running as Gary shared, can have benefits just beyond the physical, even to the emotional and the spiritual. And I think of times in my life when I ran and I broke my route up into little chunks where I knew from this point to that point I would spend time praying for this need or that person. And it was really a time for me to, uh, to pray and to commune with God in, in some wonderful ways. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing that group uh, take off. So this morning, we're in week two of a series that's going to lead us right up until Easter Sunday called Cross Culture, where we're looking at the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. Now, if you look at the four Gospels we have for us that all recount the story of Jesus dying on the cross, we find that on the cross, there were seven statements that Jesus made that are recorded for us. Uh, And we're going to take those one by one over these seven weeks uh, to look at what they mean, because we will discover as we look at each of these statements that each one helps us to understand the cross more fully, what it means, and what it looks like for us to live like a cross-shaped life. And so when we're in week two of this series, last week we looked at that statement where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you missed that, you can go online and, and maybe catch up on that this week. I would encourage you to do that. That actually wasn't the very first statement that Jesus made on the cross. If you're starting in Matthew, that's the first one you're going to read, but Luke records for us what was actually the very first words that are recorded that Jesus utters on the cross, and we're going to take some time to unpack those this morning. But as I was thinking on those words of Jesus, I remembered this quote, and I didn't know who said it, so I googled it and I found it. It was a quote by Donald Rumsfeld. Do you remember Donald Rumsfeld? It's a name, something. Who was that guy? Yeah, He was the defense secretary for the United States back during the Iraq and the Afghanistan war, right, when George W. Bush was president. Bit of a controversial figure. And uh, this was one of his famous quotes, famous probably because it was a little confusing and cumbersome, but kind of interesting. He said this, reports that say that something has happened aren't always interesting to me because as we know, there are known knowns, that is, there are things that we know we know. We also know that there are known unknowns, that is to say, we know there are some things we do not know, but there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know that we don't know. Are you confused yet? There are the things that we know we don't know, but then there's those things that we don't know that we don't know. 
the unknown unknowns. And if one looks at the history of our country and the other free countries, it's that latter category that tend to be the difficult ones. That's where we get into trouble. Mark Twain said something uh, kind of interesting, a bit more of a poetic way. He said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Same idea. There are things in life that we know we don't know. We call that a lack of knowledge. But then there are things that we don't know, but we don't know that we don't know. We think we know. That's called ignorance. Okay? The Bible talks about ignorance. Ignorance is not knowing that you don't know. The words this morning of Jesus, they're going to address ignorance. We're going to find that we all deal with ignorance. So the second saying of Jesus that we're looking at, the very first one He uttered, we heard there a moment ago in Luke chapter 23, Jesus, as He's dying on the cross, prays to His Father. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, of all the statements in the Bible, I don't know that there's any statement that better captures the heart of God towards you, towards us, than those words. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In those words, as much as any other, we see the magnificence of God's forgiveness. But we also see something else. Because you can't understand the magnificence of God's forgiveness if you don't understand the magnitude of our sin, the magnitude of our guilt. And in this one short statement, Jesus is going to show us both things. Essentially, He's going to show us that our sin is strong, but that Jesus is stronger. Okay, that's the sermon in a nutshell. If you want to go, you can go. We're just going to unpack that. This message is all about how our sin is strong, but Jesus, His grace and forgiveness is stronger. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So who is the them that He's asking God to forgive? Well, certainly He has in mind those that just hours or days before were crying out right in the square, crucify Him, crucify Him. He's thinking of those people. He's probably thinking of those that came to the garden that arrested Him falsely. Probably thinking of those that convicted him and sentenced him to death even though he had committed no crime. He's probably thinking of those that had whipped him and tore apart the flesh on his back. And I'm not going to go into all the gory details of the cross because if you were here last Sunday, we took five minutes and we actually kind of walked through a bit of the horror of what the cross involved. But he had in mind those that had whipped him, those that had beat him with their fists and rods. He had in mind those who had spat upon him and mocked him. He surely had in mind those that had nailed him to the cross and probably had those in mind who were at the base of the cross, as Luke recounted for us, rolling dice, betting for Jesus' garment that had been torn from his body. Those were the them that he's pleading for God to forgive. That's kind of incredible, isn't it? He says, Father, they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they don't know. He's talking about the ignorance of all of those who had committed all of those things against him. 
What they didn't know is that they were killing and accusing the very one who created them and the whole universe, the very one that loved them and came to save them, the very one that kept their heart beating moment by moment, even as they nailed him to the cross. What did they think they were doing? Not what they actually were doing. I mean, the, the Jewish leaders that, that sought his crucifixion, they thought they were doing something good, pleasing to God. They were getting rid of a heretic, someone who might lead people astray. It was a service rendered unto God. To the Romans who had convicted and had crucified him, this was just another day at the office. Jesus is just a criminal, just like all these other criminals that we crucify, every day getting what he is due. That's what they thought they were doing. And so we're, I, I, you know, I saw this juxtaposition in, in those words there in Luke 23 in a way I'd never had before. Here we have Jesus, the author of life, dying on the cross, and at the base of the cross, like people oblivious to, to how momentous this thing is that's happening. And, and what's happening at the same time? There's these soldiers, and what are they doing? They're playing a game. They're rolling dice and playing a game. They have absolutely no idea. They don't know what they don't know. They're ignorant. So that's the them that Jesus is, is pleading for forgiveness for. But I don't think it was just them. Paul considered himself one of the them. He speaks about his own experience in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 13 when he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Because there was a time where he was doing things just like those that killed Jesus. He thought he was doing good things. He thought he was serving God. When in fact, he came to realize it was just the opposite of what he thought. In fact, he was, a bla he was blaspheming God. He was persecuting God's people. He was a violent man, guilty of murder but that God, in spite of all of that, had had mercy on him. And so in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He came to realize he had been living in ignorance. He had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea the magnitude of his sin. But God had been merciful on him in spite of that. But what that shows us and what Jesus' words asking for forgiveness show us is that ignorance is not a defense, right? Ignorance is not an excuse. We're still culpable whether we know what we're doing or whether we don't know what we're doing. Ignorance is not an excuse. I remember getting a, a speeding ticket once. I remember that summer. Three visits from the police in one summer. Three different uh, jurisdictions. Ontario, Wisconsin, Alberta. One summer. Learned my lesson. I was in Ontario, some community I, I've never been in before. I was a road. Surely this is a road where you can go fast. It looked like to me. I thought it was a road where you would go 80. But apparently it was 50. So I got pulled over and I was trying to present my case. But it's, it, it's, it's outside of town. There's not a lot of, there's no sidewalks. I thought, I, just, I didn't know. I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know. I thought maybe I could like cry a little bit and I could get out of it. Didn't work. I even took my little clergy collar that I leave my glove box that I only use when the police pull me over and I put it on the dashboard. 
that didn't work. He said, sorry, you broke the law. Ignorance is no excuse. And so when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, this is what we hear Jesus saying. Ignorance is not an excuse. But when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't just talking about those that were there that day. We are them. Because Jesus knew that it wasn't just their sin he was bearing on the cross. He knew he was bearing the sin of the world. And as the, 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 the God of the universe who stood outside of time, he knew all about you. He knew you. Before you were, he knew you. He knew the sin you were going to commit. He, he would know your need of his mercy. And so he certainly had you and I in mind when he was on that cross dying there. And he certainly had you and I in mind when he uttered those words, Father, forgive them. We are them for they know not what they do. Jesus is saying is that our, strong, our sin is stronger than we even know because there are things, yeah, that we know are wrong that we do, right? We violate our conscience. We have one too many cookies. Mommy said one, we took two. But then there, there, there are things that we're just oblivious to or ignorant about. And we might even think that we're doing good or we're doing right and we're not. We're actually dishonoring God and we're actually, actually maybe doing harm to ourselves or those around us. We live in ignorance of ultimately what is good. Kind of like an iceberg, right? They say only 10% of an iceberg is above water. Most of an iceberg you don't see. 90% of it is under the waterline. And that's what Jesus is saying here with our sin. Guys, it's bigger than you know. You see the 10%, but God sees the other 90%. Most of it we are just ignorant to, our need for the forgiveness and the mercy of God, right? Things that we, you know, a father who works hard and he puts in long hours. He's always at work. Yeah, he might say, yeah, maybe I'm kind of a workaholic, but he's doing it for his kids, right? He's doing it so that he can have enough to send them to school so they can have a good future. But all, all the while, he's like emotionally and physically not absent from their lives. And those kids grow up a little stunted because of that. And, you know, then they, they try to find, they try to find, they fill that hole in, in, in destructive ways, that hole that was left by the lack of a father's love. I had no idea. How many fathers, they, 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 go in the, they go through life and they look back and they say, I had no idea. Even things about me that I, that I think are virtues, if, if I really think and, and I'm honest, I see like maybe even those things I think are most virtuous about me are actually corrupted by sin. You know, like I'm someone that likes to save, feel like I'm disciplined with my money, I'm prudent. And I often think of that like that's a virtue. I'm, I'm prudent and I'm disciplined with my money. I'm a saver. I just don't let it... F I control it. But that's the problem sometimes. I control it. And so what I think sometimes is a virtue, this, this, this discipline, if I'm honest at times, I realize can actually just be greed in disguise. How many of us maybe in, in, in just being generous and serving and giving might find ourselves angry or frustrated when we just feel like we don't get the recognition that we're due? And so we get upset that people don't recognize our, our service. 
Sometimes maybe our piety, our service actually, if, if we're honest, comes, might come from a root or be tainted by pride. You know, the Bible says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Even those things that we think are best about us, most virtuous about us, if we could really truly see what lies below the surface of the water, we would find out we are more corrupted than we have even know. We are more tainted by this thing called sin than we have any idea about because sin is insidious. It is powerful it is strong. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, it's the wages of sin is death. Actually, I don't think that's Romans 3. I'm looking at the other pastor. Yeah. <clears throat> that's right. Uh, Paul says in Romans somewhere, you'll find it. Yep, thank you. Pastor fail, just chalk that one up. The wages of sin is death, right? Sin in your life, it just inevitably leads to harm, destruction, and ultimately to death, both physical and spiritual. And he says the problem isn't sin, small s, like just the accumulation of little things that we do. The problem is sin, capital S. It's this disease, right? It doesn't matter whether you have a little bit of cancer or a lot of cancer. It doesn't matter how much HIV gets into the bloodstream. We have, all have this disease called sin that we have inherited from our spiritual forefathers and foremothers. I'm not sure if that's a word. You know, just like I inherited from my dad, my mom, a variety of things, I'm balding in weird places. Have you noticed that? You were supposed to all say, no, I, I didn't notice. Why am I balding here? That looks weird. You know, uh, I didn't choose it. It's what I got. On those Sundays when I do baptism and I'm in here in shorts, I just know there's going to be at least a handful of people that ask if I shave my legs. If you've ever seen my legs, I have legs women are envious of. I have women that say, Rusty, I wish I had your legs. They're so smooth. You can see them later if you want. You just ask. I'll pull up my leg if you're really interested. I didn't choose them. I got a dad with hairless legs. Got hair in all the wrong places. You've inherited stuff too, but we haven't just inherited genetically in our genes the, these physical traits, but we've inherited, right? We've inherited sin. We've inherited from our spiritual forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve, this, this, this sin nature. It's a part of us. Some we enter the world with. I mean, this is what David spoke about in I believe it was Psalm 51. He says this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's not talking about being conceived illegitimately. It's not the conception act. He's talking about in his very nature, in his very essence, he is sinful at birth, not because he has sinned yet. He hasn't consciously made the choice, but in that, that's inevitable because he is a sinner. 
That is our nature, and sinners will sin. See, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. An apple tree isn't an apple tree only when it bears apples or because it bears apples. It bears apples because it's an apple tree, and even before it ever bears its first apple, it is an apple tree. And because it's an apple tree, it will produce this. And this is what David is saying. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, they don't even know how big their sin is. And, and we all inherit this, and then we all prove it through our own life. I've got three young, beautiful daughters, and it didn't take them long to prove they were sinners. One of them more than others. I'll let them figure out who it is I'm talking about. I'm kidding, of course. So when we hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, I think what he wants us to hear is they have no idea how big their sin problem is. There are people that are thinking, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's big things, right? Like I'm, those that abuse children, there's monstrous sins. And I don't do that. I would never do that. I'm repulsed by that. But then there's these other things over here that kind of sin lights and is it, it's, maybe I don't even think it's a, a problem, right? Like you got, the J, you got the varsity sins and you got the JV sins, and, and Jesus is saying they're ignorant. They don't know how big their problem is. Sin is strong. But the, but the good news in that statement is that Jesus is stronger, right? Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. Our, our guilt is great, but God's grace is greater, exceedingly greater, infinitely greater, inexhaustibly greater than the sum total of all our sin and even all the sum total of all the sin of the world. And so we see God's heart for sinners and you see God's heart for yourself in this statement. These are beautiful words. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't even know enough to know that they need mercy. They don't even know enough to ask. Before you ever asked, God gave. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, you'll pay for this when he looked down on those Romans gambling. Can you imagine? I made you. I gave you breath. I keep your heart beating. You nailed me to this cross and you're gambling over my robe. He didn't say, you'll pay for this. He didn't say, do you know who I am? He turned his eyes to his Father and he asked for their forgiveness. That's powerful. Jesus intercedes for us, not because we asked him to and not even because he has to, but because he wants to. And some of you, you've got a faulty vision of who God is. You think of God as this big, mean person there that is so repulsed by you, that if he were to forgive you, it'd be just barely, and he's going to do it with a look of disgust, and what we see in these words is, God loves nothing more when he gets up in the morning than to forgive sin, to pour out grace. He delights in it. It's his favorite thing to do. So we know when Jesus asked the Father, Father, forgive them, because we don't actually have the answer, right? He could have said, no, or I'll take it into consideration. 
but there's no prayer that Jesus ever prayed, no, no request he ever gave to his father that his father didn't answer, right? They are of one heart, they are of one mind, they are of one purpose. So for this to be the heart of Jesus means that this is the heart of the Father, this is the heart of God. God delights in forgiveness. And so you see this in the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 15, when Jesus is telling the parable, he says the kingdom of heaven, it's like, it's, it's like a hundred sheep, but one went astray. And one went, and it left, and it did what it wasn't supposed to do, went where it wasn't supposed to go. It got caught in some thickets. And he said, God is like the, the shepherd who leaves the 99, and he goes and he, and he finds the one. And joyfully, when he finds him, he puts him on his shoulders, and he brings him back to the safety of the fold. And then Jesus says this, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to repent. That's the heart of God. There is more rejoicing in heaven when one person who is in utter need of the mercy of God receives the mercy of God. That's God. So if Jesus pleads for the forgiveness of his murderers while they are murdering him, what do you think he, his heart is towards you? What do you think his heart is towards you? So some of you, you have a tough time believing that God has actually forgiven you. That He's actually forgotten it. That He's blotted it out. But I want you to see in, in, in the words of Jesus, forgiveness isn't just something God does. Forgiveness is something God loves. Jesus' shed blood is strong enough to cover all of your sin. And, and this, is, this is how Paul put it in Romans chapter 5. He says, for if by the trespass of the one man, that is Adam, our spiritual forefather, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? I love those words. Not equal. How much more? How much stronger is the mercy of God? Our sin is strong, but God is but Jesus is stronger. Does that mean that everyone is just walking around forgiven and they don't even know it? Well, the Bible does talk about how we need to receive that forgiveness into our life as a conscious choice of our will. Listen to these words, words of Peter. I think we have them up there, hey, Acts uh, chapter 3. Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. What's the next word? Repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. He's done all that's necessary for us to live forgiven, but we need to repent and turn to God and trust in what Jesus has done for us, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is how, what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He says, therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He has saved completely those who 
come to God through Him. So we do have a responsibility, right? It's not that just everyone is walking around in ignorant sin, forgiven, and they don't even know about it. We have this responsibility to turn to God and to receive this forgiveness through repentance and faith. But, but something I hear in the words of Jesus when He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, um, I, I think is that God, God has forgiven in Christ all of the unconscious sin that people couldn't repent of. You know, the, I remember these words, the statement of Jesus kind of being decisive for my mother and me back at a time when uh, my, my little sister died. Uh, I was six, so I didn't m- remember much of it other than I remember the little pink coffin. And I remember my, my mom's body draped over her weeping. And uh, she'd gone into the hospital a few days before, past due date, ready to receive this little girl into our family. And uh, yeah, my, my parents came home with empty arms. And I remember my, my mom's struggle. At one point, she, she had read something. I don't know if it was Augustine or some theological authority about how hell will be full of screaming babies, people whose sins weren't covered and because they hadn't been, uh, their sins hadn't been washed away in baptism. And that's why some churches that baptize infants, they do it because that's why there's that urgency to make sure they go to heaven. You don't want that, that baby dies unbaptized, they might not go to heaven because after all, didn't David say, I was born sinful in the womb? Everybody needs a savior. My little sister... All of our children, everybody needs a Savior because we all carry sin. But what I hear in the words of Jesus is that God forgives. Through, through, through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, God forgives all of that unconscious sin that those people didn't even know about or have the ability to repent of. And I just remember like that thought being kind of decisive and giving confidence that I'm going to see my little sister in heaven. Not because she didn't need saving, she did, but because on the cross, Jesus saved her. But the Bible is clear that if, if we are those, as, as those of us in this room are, um, who have consciously rejected that which we knew was right and good, rejected divine revelation, whether that's come through what we can discern about God and creation or whether what our consciences tell us or whether what Christ Himself has spoken to us and God's Word has spoken to us. All of us, we have consciously at, at, in, way, in many ways turned away from and rejected that. And because we have chosen sin, we must choose repentance. We must choose Christ. And that's what Peter said. And that's what Hebrews said, we need to come to Him, we need to turn him and to return to Him and receive the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us on the cross, and He will give it to all who come. God will not turn anybody away, nobody away, because God loves to forgive. So come, be forgiven, receive God's grace, be made new, be restored to God. So I, don't, I, don't, there's, I know some of you, I don't know all of you. It might be that there's some of you in the room, you, you come to church, but you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Christ. 
Maybe you haven't really understood your need for the mercy of God and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to turn to God today. And the good news is you can do that today and God will forgive you and God will give you new life today. And if you want to do that today, to come to God today, please, please, after this service, come speak with me or there's people in our prayer, a prayer team, in our prayer room, there's someone there that would love to talk with you about that and help you come to Jesus to receive this forgiveness. God wants to forgive. So, in the last few minutes here, if this is God's heart that we see in these words, how do we respond to that? How do we live in light of that? Just, just three things that I want to suggest to you. First of all, that means that we should trust completely in the intercession of Jesus on our behalf. Not, not just at one point when we became Christians, but, but today and tomorrow when we sin, we mess up tomorrow, that we, tr- that we just perpetually trust in the intercession of Jesus. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 7 does? S- 7 said, now He lives forever interceding for us. He didn't intercede once, he's interceding continually. Romans chapter 8, Paul says he is at the right hand of God the Father and he is interceding for us. Right now, he's saying those same words. Father, forgive Rusty, for he doesn't know what he's... And tomorrow, when I do it again, Father, forgive Rusty. And there he is with wounds in his hands as a perpetual testimony in the presence of God the Father of this perfect sacrifice once and for all for the sin of the world, He perpetually makes intercession for us. To me, this is beautiful. Jesus is interceding for you today. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He's saying these words today, and He's going to say them tomorrow, and we're going to need them. Because you know what? The more you follow Jesus, the more you see what lies under the surface of the water. And the, more you, the bigger you realize that iceberg was and is. This is the thing about ignorance. As your ignorance is dispelled and you get to know God more and more for who He is and you get to know His will in His Word better and better and you grow in your own holiness as that ignorance is dispelled, you know what? Your sin doesn't shrink. It grows. No, it's not that your sin grows. It's that your awareness of it does. And, and this is the thing, the more you know Jesus and the more you grow, the more and more you become aware of your need for the mercy of God. Not less, but more. That just grows. And so, not just at the beginning, but each day for those of us who have followed Jesus, our boast is in the cross. And our boast can only be in the cross of Jesus. Never in ourselves or our own righteousness because we are always in need of the mercy of God. And so our boast Each moment of every day is the cross. Jesus has done it all for us through the cross. So trust completely in the intercession of Jesus. And you're going to need to do that when you face your own guilt, Christian. When you face your sin, you're going to have to trust again in this intercession of Jesus on your behalf in order to know the freedom of forgiveness. Secondly, we need to conform our mind and our actions to God's Word because God's Word reveals God's will. What dispels ignorance? We are ignorant. We live in an ignorant world. The uh, the, the wisdom of, of humankind is at odds very often with the wisdom of God. 
God has made his, himself and his will known in his word. And so David would say this uh, in, in uh, Psalm chapter 19, verses 10 to 12. It's really a psalm about his love for God's word. Now, he's talking about God's word, his commands. He says, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned in his word. I'm warned, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm kept from destructive ways, I'm kept from falling into pits of my own making by doing life my way in my own wisdom. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward, but who can discern their own errors? The blind cannot see. God forgive my hidden faults. Who can discern their own errors? He says, but he cherishes the Word of God because it's the Word of God that dispels our ignorance and shows us that which is true and good. So we need to be those that are conforming our mind and our actions to God's Word because there's, there's all these forces out in the world, in your school, young people, in the media, amongst your friends, wherever you go, trying to conform you to ignorance. The only thing that dispels ignorance is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit He gives that enables us to understand and to obey we need to conform our, our mind. We, we, we need to, as Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, by every, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to be feeding our minds and our hearts on His Word because that leads us into, out of blindness into sight. And then as we see more and more, we will see sin that we didn't know was there. Oh, there's more of the iceberg. I never saw that part before. Now what do I do? Well, now I just own it. I confess it. And I, and I receive God's grace and I'm forgiven. The, the, the last thing I think we need to, to do to put this into practice, these words of Jesus, um, and it's something interesting I, I just noticed really this week as Luke keeps telling the story because Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. You, that's an easy check mark if you knew that. that the first one's easy. Okay, some of you, you know that Luke also wrote Acts, right? It, it's Luke was the prequel, Acts is the sequel. Luke was the story of Jesus, and Acts is the story of the first Christians. And so, as, as Luke continues writing this story in the book of Acts, um, the, the church is just brand new. This is what we read in Acts chapter 7. There's, there's one of those first Christians by the name of Stephen, and he is being killed. He's being stoned to death because he is someone who is publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, and he has angered the same people that Jesus angered, and they're doing to him the same thing they did to Jesus. Not a cross this time, now it's with stones. And so this is, this is how it's described in, in, in Acts 7, verse 59. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out with his final words. What did he say? Lord, do not hold the sin against him. And when he had said this, he died. What were his final words? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. What do you think he was doing? Do you think he was thinking, oh, this is what Jesus said on the cross and I'm going to 
I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to say the same thing. No, I, I think that his, his life had been so changed by the grace of God, his heart had been so captivated by this forgiveness, that when he was at that point, when this greatest offense was being done to him, his very life was being taken from him by being beaten with stones, he cried out the same prayer. Father, do not hold this sin against them, right? Because that's what Christians do. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ, is to be like Christ. And so I think what Luke is, is he's, he's, he's telling us something. He's saying um, that we are to forgive as Jesus forgave. This is what it looks like to live the Christian life now. In fact, it, the very fir- the verse before what I just read, verse 58, it says this. As they covered their ears... And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. These are grown men. La, 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 la. They just can't handle the truth they're hearing. It's challenging their blindness, their ignorance. They want to stay where they are. They cover the ears. They run at him. They drag him out of the city to stone him. And it says... Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Because it's hard to stone people when you're wearing a coat. You ever tried that? You don't have the same arm movement, range. Right? So they had to take off their heavy coat so that they had more range for, like, serious. That's what they're doing, right? Take off the coat so that we can stone them properly. And they give their coats to who? Standing there watching all this? A young guy named Saul. Here's a new guy we find in the story. Saul, you maybe know the story. He becomes Paul. He was a persecutor of, G- of Jesus and, and, or of, of those first Christians. He didn't encounter with Jesus. His life was changed. His ignorance was dispelled. And now he would write to the, the church in uh, Ephesus. He would say, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. And I bet as he was writing those, he was thinking of the words of Stephen he had witnessed even before he was a Christian. In his dying breath, Lord, do not hold the sin against them forgive them. That so impacted him um, that he would write those words, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also ought to forgive one another. So when we hear the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, it's not just about receiving this most incredible of gifts, the mercy of God. It's about now we have a gift to give to other people. As those who have been called to Christ and to become like Christ, we are called to forgive as He forgave. And those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. And maybe you remember that parable. We won't go into it here. When Peter comes to Jesus, how many times should I forgive a brother who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seventy times, seven times. And then He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man with a great debt. Actually, it was a billion dollars. He comes, he comes to the master, and he says, I'll pay it back, I'll pay it back, but the master had pity on him, and he knew he could never pay it back, and the master forgave every penny of the man's debt. And Jesus is saying, we are the people that have been forgiven much by God. And then in that story, that man goes, and he finds a friend of his that owes him a hundred bucks, and because he can't repay, he, he has the jailer throw his friend in prison until he can repay every penny. And the master is upset, that he has not shown grace to others, even though it was a small debt, that he has that man thrown into prison himself. And it's an interesting story, but I think it's just a way um, 
for God to, to show us how important it is that we are those who forgive. If we are those who have for, been forgiven, we are those who ought to forgive, and we stay free in our spirits by forgiving others. We cannot enjoy the forgiveness of God if we are not forgiving others. See, if you are a debtor, you are shackled. If you're a debtor to God, you're shackled, but God has broken those shackles through Jesus on the cross. But it's also true, if you're a creditor, you're shackled too. If someone owes you and you make them, you require them to pay, you're a creditor, you're in shackles. You've left one prison and you've entered into another prison and God has forgiven us so that we might be free. And he says, you stay free by forgiving others. Forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you, for you will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive. For that is the heartbeat of God. There's nothing He enjoys to do more than to show mercy. And thank God for that. Our sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Can I invite you into a time of prayer? Just want to bow your head and uh, maybe just have a bit of a conversation with God yourself. Is there something that you need to confess in your own life? Some sin that you maybe have become aware of, maybe even just through this message. Is there some guilt that God has already forgiven you for, but you're just having a tough time forgiving yourself and you, you just are carrying this guilt. Is there, is there some guilt for forgiven sin that you just need to let go this morning? Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Just as Jesus has forgiven you? You will not do that in your own strength. If that's the case, just ask God that He would empower you by His Spirit um, to do the work of Jesus. Father, we thank You for those words which show us Your heart and challenge the conception that so many people have of you as a, as a vengeful, angry God. God, we know you hate sin, and you call us to hate sin too, but you hate sin um, because you love us, and sin always hurts us, and it hurts those around us. And so, God, I thank you that you hate sin because you love us. And, Lord, would you just give us that same... Um, Lord, just that diligence, I guess, where, where we find that sin in our life that we wouldn't just be like, well, it's no big deal, just a small thing. Lord, but, but would you just enable us to kind of make war against those things in our life that just don't align with your will for us, that aren't good for us, that aren't good for those around us. Lord, help us not to settle. But we thank you, God, that even as we, as we seek to do that with the help of your Spirit, that You've already forgiven us in your son. Lord, whatever is going to happen later today and tomorrow, Lord, those of us who belong to you, we, we, we just get to wake up every day living 
under the stream, never-ending stream of your mercy and your grace. And just thank you, God, that um, we, we are free from guilt. And um, yeah, that we can just, just now go through life as, as people who know your grace. And, and Lord, just enable us to be those that not just in having received that, that we can go and we can share that with those around us, Lord. If there's anything in our, our lives here, Lord, our relationships where maybe we've been wronged, maybe really seriously, maybe it feels like stones coming down upon us, Lord, would you show us what it would look like for us to forgive the way Jesus forgave us? And then would you enable us to do that, God? Just may we go from here into... Um, the world, into our homes, our families, our, our circle of friends, our schools, our workplaces, Lord. May we go from here um, ready to enjoy your grace and to show your grace to those around us in our words and in our, in our deeds. For your glory, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.